Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 158. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars, plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to carsyad.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free filler-up book today at Cars Yeah! Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm so excited to introduce a very special guest, Dirk Lair. Dirk, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready. All right. I'm so glad you're with me today. Dirk Lair is a guy who never really planned on a career in the automotive field. It was always about his love affair with cars and racing. But along the way, he's found his life engrossed in collector cars, racing, and much, much more. He's driven at the Le Mans, podiumed at the 24 Hours of Daytona, the 12 Hours of Sebring. He was a race-winning pro and competed at numerous vintage races and autocrosses. And he's driven Grand Prix cars plus GT cars and sports cars. And he's been a racing instructor and featured in automotive enthusiast publications. Dirk's been involved in numerous restorations projects. And he's a professional broker, consultant, buyer, seller, and appraiser of exceptional collector cars when only the finest will do. And he's judged at many Concours events, including Pebble Beach. Dirk has wrapped his passion for fine cars and the track into an inspirational life in the car hobby. So, Dirk, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Could you take some time, share a little bit more about your history, your career, your interests, and your passion for automobiles? Well, my passion is great. More probably gets the better of me in many ways, and that really has driven all of this. I wish I could say that I knew that the collector car market and the collector car hobby would explode the way it has in the last five to ten years. Boy, don't we I've all. Always loved, yeah, I, I've always loved it. I always believed in the cars. I vividly remember being in the paddock at Laguna Seca in the early 80s and hearing that Don Walker had sold his 250 GTO 
to Ralph Lauren for a whopping $500,000 and <laughs> thought that the end of the world had come and that, <laughs> oh my God, I, I couldn't even believe it. And, you know, I, I believed in all the Im- important cars, the, the icon cars. I knew what they were. I, I don't ever kind of not remember being excited and attracted to them. You know, almost a lot of them when they were current race cars as a young boy. But the whole thing is wild. And I will say my involvement with the business was really always to get the experience of that exciting sports car or get my my behind into some significant race car or go to the next race or win a race or, you know, get into a series or find sponsorship or whatever it was, you know, all about more seat time, I guess. Sure. Well, you know, before we get into some of the specific questions, your life has been so interesting to me because you mentioned when we spoke before, we you really kind of evolved into what you're doing today. And a lot of what you're doing today is finding cars for people and resourcing cars and buying cars, brokering cars. Can you tell me a little bit about, I mean, you did a ton of racing. My, my goodness, you've been cars racing cars for a long, long time. But how did this this career path evolve? Because what you're doing sounds like so much fun. Well, the car racing was motivated by being around it as a very, very you know, as a baby. My father was a sports car nut, and he was an engineer. Um, I was born in the Pacific Northwest, and he was an engineer at Boeing and had a gas station, a shell service station, and worked on cars. He was flying as his first love, and he was in the Air Force, but cars were definitely right there. And according to my, what my parents have told me, I, I just was dr- drawn to it before I even remember. All my earliest memories are of being in love with sports cars and cool cars yeah. and going to races. So that part, I don't know, I, I, I'm hardwired, like it or not. I, <laughs> you know, and for all you, you know, fathers with young children out there right now, um, be careful what you wish for when you're dragging your kids to the racetrack or to meet <laughs> car events. Yeah, absolutely. I know I've done the same with my son, too, and he loves cars today as well. I think I've taken him to Pebble Beach now for, oh gosh, I think this was 11th or 12th year in a row. So, um, yeah, it's fun. And he's just 21, so it's the way to do it is start him young. Well, let's do this. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. And This is something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, something that has meaning to you, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Dirk, take the wheel. I don't know whether I have any really inspirational quote or something that that I believe in, and one of the things I joke about, and this could be not only with car things or, or a process, being very meticulous and this isn't it comes out more aggressive than I think it means but I've said if you're going to be a bear be a grizzly (laughs) which basically means I'm I'm all in I'm not good at dabbling and that means whether it's looking for the right undercoat texture and right shade of semi-gloss black for you know under the hood of a 1970 911s or studying exactly where to breathe the throttle and the exact perfect approach for going into Eau Rouge at Spa-Francorchamps in Belgium. I don't know if there's just a, a meticulous focus that I've always had and been driven with. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know where that came from. Well, I love that quote. It's great. It pretty much says, I'm all in. Just go for it. And 
and be the best you can be and do the most you can do. And I love it. I think it's great. It's perfect for somebody who's a racer, somebody who's an entrepreneur, somebody who's passionate about what they do, which I know you are. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? I know you talked about since you were a little kid, you've been in cars, but is there a pivotal moment you can think of in your life when you really knew you were a car guy forever? Pretty much, I don't remember not ever being a car guy. I mean, I was told that I looked at the sports car magazines. I was told that I could walk around the paddocks up actually at Kent in your neck of the woods, and I, I knew the names of all the sports cars. Um, when I was two to three years old, we got a family cat, and I named the cat Lotus after <laughs> Pete Lovely's Lotus 11. Oh, wow. I just always remember being really, really into that part of it. I do think, you know, after looking at a little bit of your outline of some of the questions, I thought about it a little bit, and there's, I guess, a few things that definitely popped out in a way to guide me, but I always was hardwired for the car thing, like I said. I would say my father got a, a 356A with a sunroof when I was two or three years old, and the back seats were built for me, and the car was smooth and quiet, and because my father had a company car at the time, my mother drove it more than he did for a while, and that was kind of what I rode in, and to this day, I'm in love with Porsche 356As. So I think that was a huge one and something that also I've been involved with in race Porsches a lot, and I think that's where some of the first love came for those. And then another one that's pretty funny that I was thinking about was when I was in junior high, I think I was on in detention, and I can't remember what <laughs> I did wrong, but I was in study hall in the library for detention, and you know, you had to read something, and... My father had a subscription to Road and Track Magazine always, and I was always brought up around that. But they had Road and Track Magazines in mm -hmm. the library. And I picked one, and this was probably in 1971 or two, and it had this wonderful article in it written by Elliot Forbes Robinson of him and Alan Johnson driving a 911S um, at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1971. It was a Richie Ginther-prepared car. And... Before that, I'd been to the races. I, Jackie Stewart's Lola T70 broke down at the Riverside Times Grand Prix, and the S is right in front of me, and he talked to me when I was, I think, five years old. Oh my I, gosh. I watched Jim Clark race a Lotus 23. I, I saw all that. But I always thought I loved racing, and I, if you ask me, little boy, what I wanted to do, I'd tell you I wanted to be a race car driver instead of an astronaut or a doctor or a football player. But I didn't – I still thought it was kind of – what European gods did until I read that article. <laughs> yeah. And that all of a sudden, these guys from, you know, El, you know, Alan from California, and I think, I think Elliot was from California then, you know, they went over there and did it with Richie Ginther and kind of prepped the car and did some really cool testing. And then fortunately they had mechanical problems, but they were really, really quick. And that, that, that was kind of a dream. Someday I'm going to be an endurance sports car driver. Someday I'm doing this. And that, that was the first thing that let me know that maybe it is obtainable, even though I really was naive and really had no idea what it really took to get behind the wheel of a race car. Yeah. How cool. Oh, wonderful. I love it. So, Dirk, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career. But the most important part of this is how you overcame it and what you learned from it. I can't 
say one specific thing. I've had many, many challenges in racing and making mistakes or a mechanical failure or me making a mistake behind the wheel or working with teams and sponsorship and different things. And, and the only thing I could tell you from all that is racing really teaches you perseverance and it's, not, it's, it's you know, really done well for me in other parts of the business, uh, whether a restoration isn't going the right way or you're dealing with a client on an important car and something doesn't work out exactly the way it was. You just, you don't, anything worth doing is worth being determined and going after. And sometimes it doesn't, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Well, I've heard that from so many of my guests who've been drivers, race car drivers, perseverance, be willing to hear no a hundred times before somebody says yes in the case of a sponsorship. So I think that's fantastic. Tenacity, perseverance is so important, not only in racing, but in entrepreneur and any business venture for that, but especially in the, the kinds of things that you're involved in. How about a proudest moment? I'm sure you've had many, many in your different careers and all the different things you've done, but is there one in particular that really stands out to you that you could share with us? I've had a couple really neat experiences with finding the right car for a client or a friend with a, and some of them I can't even really talk about. They're, they're important and significant, but they're kind of under the radar Mm -hmm. type of things. And that's really gratifying. And that would be some of the more recent things. And then I will tell you, I won races. I was fortunate enough to do really well in a lot of races, but, there is nothing like when it's one of your dreams and you've broken early and you've had the heartbreak. There's nothing like standing on that podium at the <laughs> Daytona. I'll bet. And, and actually really, and, and it was weird. And the only thing I can tell you about it from people that are still trying or out there, and, and I know that endurance racing has evolved a lot since I did it and um, the, the current drivers are amazing, but the the biggest thing I can say is we just, we just were fast and smooth and stayed out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and it, it really felt good. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet it was fantastic. That's awesome. Let's have a little bit of fun here. You've had so many cool cars. You've been in so many cool cars. Cool cars. What was your first really special car? And could you share a memory with me that you had with that vehicle? You know, I thought about this, and I I don't think you've interviewed – many people that have been had more or driven more or been around more more than I have. I and mean, that's one of the things I feel like I'm blessed with experience and you know, maybe wish I hung on to a lot of them a lot longer. But there's many cars and I can't say there's a couple important cars for different reasons. One I talked about my dad's three fifty six A coupe, I think was super important and something that meant a lot to me at the time and influenced me. The other one was my first actual car that I drove to high school and that was a Carmen Ghia and why that one was important besides just loving the darn car and it was the closest thing I could get to a Porsche 356 at the time is that I bought the car it was a a pretty low mileage original car with the paint oxidized and I spent all of Memorial Day weekend cleaning and detailing the car and rubbing out the paint when I was in high school when all my buddies and friends were surfing down at the beach and it was like kind of the first big beach weekend and how proud I was to take it to school the next week and then what followed after that was that summer 
a kid from the, the, the adjoining high school, his, he, he approached me with his family and offered me, at the time, $800 more than I paid for the car. And in 1970s money, that was, that's flipping a lot of hamburgers. <laughs> that's the first yeah. time the light bulb went off in my head that you could find a neat car, you know, fix it up, make it special, and actually make a profit. Ah, there's the start. <laughs> That's great. I love that. You and I share something because my second car was a Carmagia, and I just love that car dearly. And I spent a lot of time restoring that car, painting it, fixing up the engine, rebuilding the engine with a friend of mine. And they're fun little cars. I called it my poor man's Porsche as well. So I love them to this day, and my wife thinks it's crazy when I get excited about seeing when I'll, I'll do a U-turn and follow one down the road. I, I think they're wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Good memories, good memories. I'd love to have one in my garage again someday as well. How about seller's remorse? I know this is probably a painful path to go down, but I ask everybody this question. Is there at least one car, and I'm not talking about something that's worth a lot more money, but just something that tugs on your heartstrings that you really wish you hadn't let go and you you had back in the garage? It's a combination of all, all those things because some of the cars that I wish I have revisited and I've actually gone in circles and what I've been attracted to kind of gone a little bit back to the basics with my personal car collection. But I will say, I mean, I had a Porsche 718 type RSK, a good one. I've had a 911R, but I, I feel like I scratched those itches. I had wonderful experiences with them and I'm really glad I did, but I don't have that as big of a yearning for those but the one that I would and it is a valuable car but I would want it because I still love them to this day and I can't afford one and they're um they're just really really special it's just one thing that I would fit you know in a little bit of what I like to do with my cars in the collection and that and I had one in the 80s but it's a, a Ferrari 275 GTB, a two-cam alloy-bodied car. Oh. And the, the example I had was a later alloy car. It was a, a torque tube model, six. I mean, a, a three-carb, not a six-carb. Mm-hmm. And I would, at this point, I wouldn't be picky. I would take a short nose, three-carb, a six-carb, anything alloy body, and nice in a, in a 275 GTB, and definitely the two-cam. I'm really partial to those. But, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. That ship has failed, unfortunately. Oh, gosh, yeah. It's gotten crazy. But, oh, beautiful cars. Awesome, awesome. What a lucky guy, fortunate guy you are to have spent some time with one of those. That's great. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now? Maybe for the, it's the new year here. Maybe that's got you really fired up and excited. There's one car coming coming up that I've been involved in, and it's, it's a the acquisition of the car was very significant and important. And it's a car I can't really talk about, but it is an important car. And, and someday I'll be glad, you know, we, we can all talk about it. But the car is going to go in sometime in the next year for a restoration. And I'm on major research phase on the car right now, learning as much as I can mm-hmm. about, you know, manufacturing techniques, finishes, really weird super meticulous details about that specific car. And it's a limited production car and a handmade car. So, you know, it's a lot of work, and I'm sure not all of them are the same, and I have a, a long road ahead of me. I'm, I'm very excited about that. And then I just literally three days ago got my 58 356A um, coupe back that was built the week I was born, 
that was a car I've had a long time. I bought from the widow of the original owner, and I decided to embark in probably a little bit too much work or different things to make it just the way I want, go back to as authentic as possible, and it's a special option car, and my wife and I took it out today and did a long drive on on twisty roads and went out to a nice lunch, and even though that's finished, it's current, it's almost current. Yeah, now you can start enjoying it, driving it, playing with it, that's great. Well, I can't wait to hear more about this mystery car when you're all done with it, but it gives our listeners a little hint to one of the many things that you do, and that is finding special cars for clients and then helping them through different processes. Either it's acquiring the car, restoring the car, selling the car later, whatever it might be. So you get to get your hands in a lot of things. Sounds like 2015 is going to be a fun year for you. Now, Dirk, here's an interesting question. Can't wait to hear the answer to this one. If Dirk Lair was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? I've narrowed it down to a couple cars, and the most important thing is light, nimble, easy on fuel economy, on tires, on brakes, on transmissions um, that just can do it all well. Mm-hmm. And in, in a race car world, I feel like that is a Formula Ford or maybe a Lola T294, which was a two-liter sports car from the early 70s that was the first car that two famous Formula One designers designed together. A young John Bernard and Patrick Head designed that car, and I've had a couple of them and been lucky enough to race them, and they're magic. And in a road car, it might be that Carmen Ghia or a 356A. Yeah, I I can see that because I know you love to surf. You're an outdoor guy, been a surfer for your whole life, and um, I can see that. That sounds great. I love that. Great answer. All right, Derek, we're up to what I call the last lap, and you know what that means. The white flag is out, the pedal to the metal here, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yes. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Being told, being ex- having it explained to me when I was 16 about original paint, original cars, unrestored cars, something that nobody's messed up, that is, you know, is a, you know, great unmolested example, and that that's that really sunk in with me and is, is still kind of one of my main passions in in all for all cars. Well, and that's become real important. The collector car trade or hobby of the last five years plus is cars that are unrestored. People are really finding those to be important. It's been one of my passions since I was 16, and I've almost always had some example of something unrestored, and, and now most of the cars I have are low-mileage unrestored examples with neat stories, you know, how I found them, or yeah. the past ownership, and, and you learn so much from them every day. I'm going to throw you a different question here, too, that's along the same vein. Because you, you're you out there finding special cars for people, what's the best automotive advice you could give somebody who's looking to buy a collector car? I think one of the things I've noticed is in all forms of media that people are really big on telling stories about the car and... I think that's important. I think the stories are important, but a lot of times the stories don't line up with with the car. So I would tell people use their eyes, not 
by reading. Don't don't always trust what you read, but actually use your eyes. I feel like I always any car that I'm interested in or anything that I'm going to inspect for a client or do anything. I'm not worried so much about. I almost don't want to hear the story. I want to look at the car organically and and really you know let that tell the story and then and then see what the you know see the documents or see what you know what comes up after that. I would assume too find somebody to help you because emotion takes over and we start to get a little blinded. That would along the lines with, with that is due diligence, I guess, having somebody inspect the car for you, doing your homework and yeah, you know, it's just there's a lot of cars out there. The market is pretty frothy and I deal in very small numbers. I don't feel like, you know, that goes back to my light, my light car analogy, mm-hmm. but I don't want to have a lot of overhead. I don't want to have, I only want to be able to recommend or deal in something truly, truly great. It doesn't mean that it has to be expensive. It just, it has to be a great example of, of whatever it is. Sure. So I'm always glad to, you know, aim people in different regions, sometimes I don't know somebody from an area, but aim people for certain cars, you know, to somebody to have them inspected or help them or coach them. And I, I think that's that's good. You, you know, I'm learning the more I know, the more I know I don't know. I'm learning new stuff constantly. And I, st- I think that, you know, having someone in your court to help you, especially if, you know, you haven't been around it a long time and don't have a ton of experience is is really uh, important. Absolutely. Great advice. I know there's a lot of resources out there, but is there one in particular that you could share with the Cars Yeah listeners that you find really helpful? Maybe it's a blog that you get or it's a website that you go to quite often. Um, lately, I mean, just for photos and different things, and, and again, I study photos a lot with, with restorations and things. Unfortunately, humans don't always remember and original cars tell you a lot, but an original car still could, you know, the paint can fade or, you know, something can change. So I love studying period photos from whatever it is I'm trying to research or learn about. And the Revs Institute has an amazing website with all kinds of photos. And I'm, I'm only just, it's, I've only just explored the tip of the iceberg. I'm really high on what Miles Collier and his crew and the group at Stanford are doing there. It's fantastic. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And how about a book? You've probably read a lot of books. There's a lot of books out there. But is there one in particular you think that the Cars Yell listeners should get their hands on? It really depends. There's so many great specific books. If you're into Porsches, you know, the Carl Ludwigson um, books, Excellence Was Expected, is fantastic. If you're into Ferrari 250 GTs, the Just Pray book is fantastic. If you want to know about Ford GT40s, you have to have Ronnie Spain's book. If if you want to go after Alfa Romeos, uh, important pre-war Alfa Romeos, you have to have Simon Moore's books. Those are incredible. And like I told you, I'm very excited about photos and learning about photos. And there's a book that was recently released, and the gentleman that put it together, I mean, it's, it's fantastic, and I commend him, and he's a California guy, so and I'm a California guy, so that's exciting, but it's um, Mo- Motor Binder by Roy Spencer. Oh, Roy's been a guest on Cars, yeah. It's fantastic. The stories that he can tell, I, oh my gosh, I've, I've spoken to him on the phone some, and I mean, the fo- I just, I love that book. 
Oh, I do too. In fact, I bought several copies for friends this past Christmas. That's funny that you said that. Yeah, I gave <laughs> I gave away several copies myself. Also. Yeah, yeah. Roy's a great guy, and that's a great find. So, mm-hmm. you know, who originally told me about that book was um, Randy Nonnenberg, Bring a Trailer. So, okay, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. said you should should uh, find that. So great, fantastic. Well, I'll remind our listeners you can find these resources at carsyad.com slash Dirk Lair. Now, Dirk, how about interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? I know you have a few. Cars occupy a lot of time, and even if I'm doing other things, I'm thinking about cars. (laughs) But right now, my main hobby and passion outside of cars is surfing. Mm -hmm. I, I grew up by the beach. My father was an engineer with Boeing, and when the aerospace boom hit Southern California in the early 60s, we moved to Southern California, and I grew up by the beach and always been around the water. And I surfed as a kid and then chasing my car racing dreams and everything. I really, and in school and everything else, I, I stopped surfing. My wife, who I met a little later in life, she surfs, and she got me kind of back into it. Nice. And I also was, uh, and still am a little bit, but not as much, was quite an avid cyclist. And, this, and cycling was my secret weapon for training for endurance racing. I could do double and triple stints. But I, a year and a half ago, I had a quite serious cycling accident. And I was in intensive care for a week. And I promised my wife that I was going to pick on water instead of asphalt. <laughs> yes. So, so surfing is kind of the, you know, my main sport. Oh, yeah. I miss surfing. I grew up surfing, as you know, in Southern California, and I do miss it quite a bit. I'm a long way from the ocean now and up here in the Pacific Northwest, and when you when I do get out there, the water is just so cold. But uh, Well, we're going to get you down here and get you in the water. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. All right. So, Dirk, we're up to the checkered flag here, and this last question can be a real doozy for some car guys, especially someone like you. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, but money is no object, but this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with to fill it up again, just one, what would that one car be and why? Well, I got to say, I've played this game many, many times. (laughs) We all have. (laughs) And one of my good friends and better clients has a term, the ultimate three-car garage, so we narrow it down to three cars. Uh And three cars is hard. One car is almost impossible yes and it changes on a six-month basis so i'm going to give you i'm going to give you what it is today but i'm only going to but i'm going to say there's kind of three or four cars that are right you know right there that always can be rotated and changed and i and i don't even i thought about it enough where i'm not even giving you the type of car i'm going to give you the actual serial number oh gosh the okay. actual car i would expect nothing um, less from you <laughs> today it's rudolph uhlenholtz 300 slr coupe there were mm. two gullwing coupes and you know the chief engineer for mercedes racing rudolph uhlenholtz had one that he cruised on an autobahn and he was a professional driver level but he was an engineer and that could kind of do everything they're priceless mercedes has both of them I've seen the car in real life at Pebble Beach, and that one's there. But nipping on its heels is a Ferrari 250 GTO, a Series 2 car. And the Series 2 cars haven't always been as much attention paid to them as Series 1 cars. And all three of the Series 2 cars 
our incredible, incredible history, incredible provenance, and one of those would be on the list. Mm -hmm. And then the other two is, one is a Gulf 917K chassis number 16 that is owned by Chris McAllister, and it was owned by, to me, the godfather, the king of all of this neat, cool car collecting as far as Porsches go. A, a guy named Jerry Sutterfield had the car forever, and he bought it from Porsche, and He's taught me so much about about all these cars. Uh-huh. And the last one is Alfa Romeo 2300HC, um, a short chassis, a quarto chassis, um, touring body spider. And there's one example that resides in California right now. And it's you know, known as the Rimaldi Alpha, and it's a very unrestored, um, unmolested um, spider. And it's a, it's a wonderful car. It used to live in my the town I grew up in, in Newport Beach, for a long time, and used to see it out running around about 10 or 15 years ago, and it was pretty amazing to see that car cruising down Coast Highway. Wow, I'll bet. But if it had to be one today, which one is it again? A few minutes ago, I was seeing the SLR, <laughs> and I guess right now, after you set it down, I'm going to say a Series 2 GTO. The GTO, okay. I don't know, the V12, the V12 sound, sounds a little better right now. Yeah, I think so. Well, gosh, those are all awesome, awesome cars, but the GTO is great, of course. So I know I, I cheated on that, but that's <laughs> as good as I could do to narrow, narrow it down. That's okay. No problem. I had a few people that have had to cheat on that as well. It's a very difficult question, but that's why I like to ask it, because uh, it makes you think a little bit. So, awesome. Well, Dirk, you've taken me on a great ride today, as I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories and getting to know you a little bit better. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yacht listeners and with me. If you could give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Ferrari GTO. I think as things get more popular and as more cars get restored and more people are involved, all that the fact that it is important to people. I mean, when you really think about it, it's something I love, but we aren't curing cancer here or anything. This is really just kind of fun, mm-hmm. and it's, but it is really important. I would say anybody getting involved with this, do as much research as they can. Study the cars. Study where they came from. Um, you know, Learn about the history, not only of their, their example, but of the mark that they're in love with. You know, Study the construction techniques, how the cars were painted, you know, how the engine was built. There's so much you can learn that way. And why, why I'm going this direction is we're kind of custodians. The way the world's going, I don't know whether, you know, we'll have internal combustion engines in another 50 years. I don't know, you know, whether we'll have oil and fuel anymore for this. So I think it's a, you know, a unique era and it's something I think that's important enough, at least I believe it is, to be preserved. And the more people care about that and revere the really important cars and take care of them, I think, I think is better for generations to come. And, I mean, again, I realize this is not that important compared to other world problems, but we are on cars, yeah, right now. So <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Absolutely. Great, great advice, great advice. And is there a way for our listeners to learn more about you I'm really under the radar. I don't have a website. I don't have business cards. Um, I rarely even wear shoes. But um, and I, I, I joked about that, and you know, people have teased me about that. But anyway, people are welcome to email me or call me. I'm glad to talk. I'm kind of intense. I'm very, very into it, but I, I enjoy it at all levels. 
I am really under the radar. One of my philosophies with this is I've been involved with a lot, a lot, a lot of neat cars, and most people don't know, and that's on purpose. I'm kind of the guy behind the curtains a little bit where the new guy, the guy that the guy that spent the money, the guy that, you know, we had this journey together, he should be the guy that goes out there and takes it to the event or debuts it at an important race or sure. he gets to have his fun. And I, I think that's great as, you know, I, I think that's a, a really neat thing. I think we all like that. I know with one of our close mutual friends, you know, we talked about how excited he was to find a, a really cool one-owner, low-mileage Mercedes-Benz, you know, Mercedes Benz 240D diesel to drive back and forth to the office. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, it's all fun um, that way. So I, I guess I welcome, I welcome all the conversations. Like it or not, I'm just, I'm low key that way. Yeah. Well, you're the Wizard of Oz, but you're the Wizard of Cars. So the man behind the curtain. I like that. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything that Dirk has shared with us today again at carsyad.com slash Dirk Lair. Dirk, thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and for sharing just a few of your many experiences with me today and with Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark, very much. And one thing I will like to say is thank you for having me. And I got to say, seeing the list of some of your past guests and legends in there, important people, some people I know, some people I've raced with, it's, a, it's an honor that you asked me. Thank oh, you. gosh, it's my pleasure. It's been great talking to you. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!